I recently watched this documentary on Netflix called Wild Wild Country. And, and I watched it just purely based on entertainment at first. But as I started watching it, I started realizing there were some, some correlations and, and some commonalities in that documentary, um, which is about, uh, I guess you could call it a cult, but, uh, a group of people who, who were following, um, this guru by the name of Bhagawan, who now goes by the name of Osho, and they created basically a state, their own civilization in the middle of Oregon. So a lot of people were calling him a cult at the time. And, and to be honest, you, you could call it a cult because it had cultish tendencies. But more importantly, I was looking into the documentary and starting to see these correlations um, between a cult and a brand. And we've talked about this myself and my colleagues about building a brand is like building a cult. But here is this documentary. This thing happened you know, in the late 70s, actually from the late 60s all the way out to the mid 80s. It's still going on today. They have ashrams all over the world. But, you know, it hit its height in terms of the U.S., in terms of the controversy around the early 80s. And I was seeing all these commonalities and and seeing all these takeaways from the documentary that could be applied to brand building and just business building in general. So there are a couple of different nuggets. Again, I urge anybody who's building a brand uh, or building a business just to take a look at the documentary, um, just to glean some inspiration and just see how some of these devices were used and were put into effect and worked. But um, there were certain things in the documentary, like like for starters, the um, the guru himself was very, very astute when it came to capitalism. You know, this this wasn't someone who was just completely abstracted or or just removed from society. This was someone who understood a capitalist system and and was looking at what he was doing very much as a business. Right away he saw an opportunity or saw a need to to create a financial structure to to provide resources in order to grow this movement. So he started looking, one of the things that they, they had was these meditations, these mass meditations. And in a documentary, he, he saw that as very much like a product. And he was like, okay, this is the product. And, you know, the customer set, which, which what he was really good at was appealing to the intellectuals. And it just so happened at that time, there were a lot of people who, you know, came out of Vietnam or were just came out of college as post civil rights or just during civil rights. So there's a lot of rejection of, of the traditional, uh, mainstream, uh, culture and, and the way things were taught to them. These, these are young people who are highly educated who started to realize that the, the culture and the system that was taught to them was failing them, that they weren't feeling happy. They weren't feeling fulfilled. They were feeling burnt out. So they started to look to, to new age and alternative ways of living. And he understood that, this guru. And he was able to convey or craft a message that appealed to that particular segment. It addressed their particular pain point at that time. So from a business and branding standpoint, he, he was solving a problem. 
He was providing this product or more importantly, this lifestyle, this way of life, because it wasn't just the meditation that was that was more of a utility, but the entire lifestyle, the entire way of being was the offer to this particular segment. It was a way of solving this problem they were having, which was a, this disenfranchised feeling towards the society and the culture that they, they grew up in. They, they did all these things right. They went to school, they got educated, they got the job, yet at the end of it, they weren't happy. So this guy provided the solution to that by providing this way of life, um, living in this more harmonious way, this enlightened uh, uh, aspirational standard that they can all... Um, they can all strive to to attain. So going forward, it did that, and it was just all like kind of kumbaya, just like harmony, just meditation, all whatever. And this one figure by the name of Sheila came into the picture, and she very much was was the architect of the brand. She she studied, she understood it through and through. She went to I think like Montclair State University, uh, so she studied in the states, Western. Western culture. Um, she was of Indian descent, Indian background, and brought it back to this ashram. And, and her and the guru, you know, they, they conferred on, on a lot of these these strategies and tactics to grow the brand. And she was like, you know what, let's move this ashram from India, um, because at the time they were in uh, Pune, which that particular location, they were in danger um, from the Indian government from being shut down. So she said, let's just get out of here. Let's go go to a place where we have religious freedoms and just freedoms in general to to practice and, and grow as we see fit. And we can be in a spot where we can um, we can take in one of our, our strongest bases, which is this Western elite, highly educated individual. Um, so they went at the time there was a, a plot of land in, in Oregon, this ranch that was open to them. So they went to Oregon and, and set up shop and, and, and really from a branding perspective and also a business perspective, one of the things that was very key about this part, they were able to build like a civilization basically from scratch, everything from, uh, uh, you know, grocery store to movie theaters to you know, airport, they had everything. And the people that they had working for them, traditionally, you put them in a regular job, you would have had to pay them a ridiculous amount of money, salary. I mean, these are highly, highly educated and sought after people. But she was able to get them to, to basically work around the clock for free because they had a common vision and they were working with such a spirit of enthusiasm that they didn't feel the time pass. They were just just it was it was everyone's dream. So everyone's working their asses off and doing so with a smile joyously, like building like pipelines and, and, and a sanitation system in the middle of arid desert like land. How do you do that? You know, that that's the key. They were able to actually achieve that. And a lot of how they were able to do that was to incite a sense of enthusiasm to incite a sense of hope, to to completely frame out the vision and the dream of what they were trying to achieve, which at this time was to to change the world, to show them an example of being able to live harmoniously with with other human beings, regardless of race, gender, sexuality, um, or, or 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 ethnicity or nationality, just 
everyone's harmoniously working and and cohabitating in 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 um in this in this environment so that was another nugget that that I could definitely make a direct correlation to business and brand I, I, you know when you have a startup when you have a company and you're building and you're growing it to get people to work in a harmonious fashion towards one common goal is very difficult to get people to work with enthusiasm around that common goal is very difficult. Oftentimes you need one person who sits somewhere in an organization whose sole purpose is to constantly reframe the vision of that organization to constantly frame why everyone is doing what they're doing and why everyone's part plays into this bigger narrative. And for this, this cult, it was this, the, the guru Bhagwan, who is now Osho and, um, and his, his president who, who in the documentary, they call her secretary, but she, she was basically the consigliere. She, she handled everything. And, um, and she was the architect and she would constantly inspire people and, and, and get them to believe in this vision. And they found themselves doing things that they wouldn't even imagine. So that was another nugget, um, that I thought was very interesting and, 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 and very important. Now going forward, this thing really took off, in my opinion, when the media circus started to 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 swarm this cult and part of the genius of this woman sheila was her recognition of how expensive media buys actually are i don't know if that was intuitive or she understood that from an intellectual standpoint from from her schooling but she knew that media buys were very very important but also very expensive so what she did is when she she started to receive, and when the cult started to receive its first round of press and curiosity from the public, she took that opportunity to be extremely provocative and polarizing. Because when she did that, it it, it created more interest. It created more hysteria, more more hype. And the next thing you know, everybody wants to have her on her talk show. Everybody wants to have her speak on their platform. And that just spread the message. It spread the movement far beyond the, the, the cult's actual reach. And the thing about being polarizing, the thing about media and just news and, and, and just anything like that, any kind of content or story that, that's going out there on behalf of the brand, the most important thing is to, to incite an emotional reaction, whether it's good or bad. And in a lot of cases, her reaction from the audience was bad. Um, but I think she knew that. I think she knew that if she stimulated and stirred enough emotional reaction, that people would find interest and would buy. And at this time they had a lot more product. And this was like utility items like books and, you know, cassette tapes and things like that. People would buy these things just to, to, feel an emotional reaction, whether it's it's a positive one or, or a hateful one, a, a negative one, people wanted to have an emotional reaction or or just were curious about it. They would hear about this woman saying these crazy things on a talk show and then they, they would go out and, and read about it in a book or a magazine or, or whatever, whatever uh, a product they had to offer. That's still money in the till. 
So I thought that again, that was that was genius. Her using these these free opportunities as as PR, essentially to spread the message and build awareness and and get people into the sales funnel. Um, there's more nuggets in the documentary. I, again, I urge anyone who is building a brand and building a business to to watch it and gather. But those two, those. Those for sure were, were some of the ones that stuck out in terms of the, the connection or correlation that can be made to, to business and growing a brand. Um, one of the other ones that I would say just is an obvious one is the idea that, that everyone was wearing red, that, that they're the symbol for this cult, the symbol for this movement, um, for their tribe was, was red. You know, symbology is a big part of, of, tribalism and and tribal culture and and if you really want to codify a movement and and create uh, a sense of belonging you need to have these kind of rituals and and symbols and 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 habitual things that everyone does and, and that was a very very strong one the idea of of just wearing red it was an immediate visual social signal and marker to say i'm not like them or i am a, i am them you know, I'm, 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 I'm part of this. I belong to this. And, um, and that was, that again was another big important factor because it was in a, a way to identify, um, other, they call themselves sannyasins, other sannyasins, regardless of where you were. And even if you were just wearing all red, um, you know, there was a likelihood that if you were within, uh, a, a earshot of that community, uh, that you'd probably be associated with them anyway. So the, the power of their reach and their brand as it grew in, 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 um, in, in culture and it made a greater impact, the power of these symbols that they're associated with and, and these rituals grew as well. Um, and that's, that's oftentimes the aim of the tribe, um, to grow in power not just culturally, but then economically speaking, politically. I mean, that's another thing you'll see in a documentary. Just they're, they're, because they had such smart and resourceful people as part of the, the collective, they had lawyers, doctors, scientists, all types of people building and growing this, this community and movement. They were able to, to factor that into their strategy for development and growth. So they had people who, who actually built the civilization, designed it, but then they had like lawyers in-house who were able to navigate the, the legal system, uh, navigate uh, real estate law, buy a property, become legitimized um, as a city and as a municipality to, to go so far as to have their own police force. Like Things like that were really interesting. But uh, again, urge you to watch it. Um, a lot of commonalities for business and brand. I was having a conversation recently about just social issues and politics. And, you know, I, I, I'm aware of these things. And I often, I, I have to fight myself from, from jumping in the conversation because I, I know there is a lot to, to say. And I've, I've done a lot of research and not just recently, like this is something that's just part of the company to talk about 
social issues, class, politics, race, things of that nature. This has been something that even before I, I, I you know, help found my my Uber life and, and Wolf University. This is something that I used to talk about with with my late father and my mother. We used to watch, uh, you know watch these programs like Ted Koppel talking to, you know, Nelson Mandela and stuff like I was young, but like I was very much present and involved in these conversations a long time ago. So they've never, they've never left me, but I'm always wary about jumping into the arena and allocating and spending too much time just talking about these issues and not actually doing things to affect change or, or, doing things efficiently to affect the most amount of change and make the most amount of impact. And I realized something that came out of the conversation was that I think far too many people, and again, I want, I want to just be very careful about how I say this because I don't want to stop people from, from being motivated to make change and to take action and to do things that, that create more positivity and, and, and affect more social change. I don't want to. I don't want to patronize or come off as a type of person who is 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 trying to hinder that kind of progress. But I do want to advance the conversation, I, and I do feel that it's necessary for us to have very free and open and 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 productive conversations around these topics that don't that don't result in my opinion trying to beat your opinion but more of a, a dialectic which is something that that my life and, and wolf university always fosters this idea of conversation where two people have different points of views or different belief systems different values and they throw those things into the pot and in doing so, they invite, hopefully, the truth to the table. No one is, no one is, is, is trying to beat the other. It's not a matter of winning a discussion. It's a matter of inviting and, and hopefully allowing the truth to be born out of conversation. So that's essentially what I'm trying to do. And that's what was happening on this call that triggered a thought. But getting back to my point, I realized that, you know, in order to affect change, realistically in the world in order to really really move the needle forward or move it in any direction you need leverage you need power right you need certain amount of resources and you need time and energy to 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 allocate to certain activities to acquire that leverage and that power and those resources you know some people are born into it you know, they're just they're grandfathered into a, a situation where they have leverage and power by way of parents or birthright, you know, like like genuine kings and queens kind of thing. And other people are not the majority. Let's just be clear. The majority of people are not born into that situation. And and I would say there are a lot of people who are who are suffering the effects of inequality and social injustice and and deserve to be angry and deserve to to fight these things and find a way to 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 change the situation, change to 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 to, to 
at least address that narrative and fight against it. But at some point, you have to start looking at where you are in your life and your ability to to fight that battle and win and and really make the kind of change that you you expect to make. If that's even if if that's even what, what you have in your mind, because I find sometimes people are, are fighting against these things or, or joining the conversation purely out of impulse, not like strategically thinking about how to to truly solve this problem or affect the most change. So circling back again to my point, what came out of the conversation is that I find that I think people who really want to make change and who really want to take action on some of these these larger social activist um, issues, many of them should focus or at least look at objectively their lives and and ask themselves a tough question. Do I have enough leverage, enough resources, and enough power personally to make a real impact in this space, to make a real dent in this conversation? And if not, how much of my finite amount of time should I be allocating towards acquiring those things so that I can make a stronger impact on this issue. I, I personally feel that I can't say everyone, but I feel there, there are probably individuals out there that are spending maybe too much time doing activities that will not yield them in the long run the result they hope for and in doing so are suffering from this trade-off in finite energy that they have are suffering from this trade-off of focusing on on activities that can give them resources and power to make more of an impact versus doing things immediately that might quench an impulsive thirst to be part of the conversation and like and 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 appease that like stirring of anger you know whereby you might go on instagram and like you know put up a post or you might be on twitter and you might be just like volleying just just volleying just all this 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 energy towards the issue and and i can't i can't say that that's not that's not um needed and that's not uh uh effective in 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 a small way you know people's individual voices the the point i would say is that people's individual voices collectively is powerful so you you should do that and that and that is it's important to to voice your 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 opinions and your thoughts and 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 your opposition to certain things on an individual level because i mean realistically these individual efforts i mean that's what the voting process is all about the, the individual voices collectively create an impact it's just how much time are you allocating to these things and to that process versus the time that you're allocating to developing yourself as an individual to be more powerful and to have more leverage and more resources so that on an individual level your voice even without the collective i mean you you're still part of the collective but individually you you now become 
a, a powerhouse in and of yourself. You can just do more. So I think that's really that's really more what came out of the conversation is I think people people who are who are spending so much time and so much of their energy focusing on on these large macro big boulder of issues you know trying to move this huge boulder of an issue with with very little uh, uh, power and 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 support behind them focusing too much energy on that to no ends versus people who who still still you know apply some energy towards that but have realized that they should be applying more energy to 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 getting more resources more leverage so that if they want to move that boulder of an issue they just have more horsepower behind them you know what i mean it's kind of like someone who who's like spending you know 10 hours a day pushing on this boulder with their hands you know versus someone who's like all right you know i tried pushing on this boulder for five hours with my hands it this thing hasn't moved let me let me apply the next five hours on thinking about developing a a a, a, a hydraulic pump that can maybe push this boulder this can double this can quadruple the amount of power that i'm exerting with my hands so i might have a a a greater chance of pushing this boulder over and getting it rolling that's really what i'm what i'm really talking about i know it's long-winded and i and i i purposely took my time with this because i felt that it is a sensitive topic number one and number two i want to be clear and i hope that in the end of this, I'm st- I'm clear, and I'm sure some people may may feel that I'm not, or that I'm off the mark, or that I'm missing a lot of points. And maybe I am. I'm sure I am. I mean, I can't know everything, but I do have a perspective, and I do know that there's a certain amount of energy that we all should be allocating towards self development, to be more knowledgeable, to be to be uh, uh, more wise, uh, and to 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 have more resources, economically speaking, as well as socially at our disposal so that when we do make a move and we do take action, that action is backed with more impact, more power. Because that's the only thing that this world yields to. It's not the change that we want. It's the consistency and the energy and the fortitude behind the change that moves the needle. So I am I myself I I want to jump in the in the arena with a lot of these issues but I realize I have a finite amount of energy, finite amount of time and while I may talk about these issues or I might say something or I might post something it's it's to a degree. I want I'm going to keep it capped because I know I need to to reserve a certain amount of my time and energy towards developing myself and making my 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 world, my universe, more powerful, just in general, so that the actions that I do want to take are just backed with more fortitude, more energy, more consistency, more power, more leverage. And I, I, my, my advice and my suggestion and, and the purpose for this, this very long-winded podcast uh, thought is to, to charge others to, to think this way as well. To stop for a second when you, you're spending hours or too much time 
scrolling on an issue on social media or scrolling on an issue, uh, uh, you know, on, on some of these platforms and just decide what if I really care about this issue, what's the best way for me to make an impact? Let me just put out one quick post, write something, maybe that'll stir something in my network. Or maybe I should go and meet with someone who is actively doing these things and offer them strategy and tactics or just my time, you know, and, and cap that time. Like, I'm going to offer two hours and just really make a difference in this space because that's what I can do. But just like to fool yourself into making a difference because you're, you're actively reading a bunch of articles or, or actively looking at a bunch of people's Twitters or like you, you're tweeting all the time about the situation and to fool yourself into thinking that that impact is greater than it really is, is, is foolish to me. But that's just my point of view. This is my opinion. And I invite anybody to disagree with me and offer their opinions dispassionately, of course, because we have to we have to have thoughtful disagreements, thoughtful conversations. Um, this is not personal attack on anybody in, in, in specifics, and it should never be. It's, it's always about the issues and the ideas and the outcomes that we want to see. And what is the most efficient strategic way to do so, to, to, to arrive at them rather.